to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kick Sugar Coach podcast. I'm here today with Laura Lively. And was that your, did you marry into the last name Lively? No. Um, funny, both of my husbands have had, I have a, I had a starter husband, and his last name was Brady. And my, uh, my forever husband's last name is Jones. And so there was no way I was giving up lively for either of those names. Oh, that's your birth name. Oh, I yes, love it. Yeah, there's amazing alliteration there. So this story that I'm going to share with you today is, is the sugar-free, flour-free success story. It is incredible. Like just you take a deep breath and slow your life down to really be present, to take in the transformation that Laura has experienced over really 50 years. And where, you know, what her life was like and what her life is like now is just so phenomenal. I'll hit a few highlights for you. She was first overweight at the age of three. She dieted on and off for 50 years. Um, And she was 297 pounds when she entered college. And that's when she really in earnest started to try and lose weight. She was in and out of Weight Watchers, losing and gaining for decades, Um, interestingly, one of the things, strategies that she was using to try and keep her weight down was exercise until one day she tore something in her hip, some muscle that I don't even know how to pronounce that was literally at the time irreparable. So her whole life was coming down to a crash, but it wasn't just that she couldn't exercise, that she was truly in excruciating pain that was so bad that opiates couldn't take the pain away. There was no opiate on the market that could make that pain go away for Laura, except for one. There was one drug that worked and it was wine. So Laura then became a functional alcoholic and and ballooned up to 300 pounds. Absolutely phenomenal. Now, that's all that the pain and the suffering part of the story. So now I'm going to let Laura elaborate on that if she would like to, and then get into the transformation because her life today is gobsmackingly good and it's possible for you too. So, Laura, take it away. Thank you so much, Florence, for having me. I so appreciate it. You did a beautiful job of uh, telling them about my life because it was, it was, um, it was particularly. So yeah, up to age 50, you, you nailed it. You really nailed it. Um, I had been overweight since I was three years old. I had never been in what would be even close to considered a normal sized body. Like you mentioned, uh, by the time I was in college, I weighed 297 and three quarters, um, which, you know, Weight Watchers on and off every diet on and off. Um, and yeah, exercising until, Um, I did. I tore the labrum in my right hip, which at that time was not fixable except by a hip replacement. And nobody wanted to do it because they said I was too young. So they just said, live with the pain. Um, And I did. And nothing would help but wine. And we even tried to like, figure that out. Like, is it the 
you know, it wasn't clearly the painkillers weren't working. So maybe it was the relaxation piece. So we tried muscle relaxers. No, it didn't help. And so when that happened, like you said, everything crashed down because it was exercise. And I was doing what I could to keep my weight under 200 pounds with exercise or with diet. And what in history, if I would take the weight off, I could get under 200 pounds. I had never in my life been under 163. That was, and that was the very first time I did Weight Watchers at age 18. And so I'm five, five. And, um, I, I, it was just no matter what I did, I would get under, I would get maybe to 190, 180, and then something in me would panic and I would off would go the diet. And then I would be off and running again, just back up the scale. So, um, that was where I was in October of 2016 when I was fat shamed on a plane. Um, this old white guy stands next to me and turns to the flight attendant and says, I won't fit next to her. I'd like to point out the jackass fit just fine, but that was the most, that was one of the most humiliating things that had ever happened to me. Um, until the next month, because in October, or excuse me, in November of 2016, I got on the scale and I weighed 302 pounds at the doctor. And so I had never seen a three before at the beginning of a number. And I was just desperate and devastated and 50 years old, 50 and a half. And I thought this is and, and miserable and in pain 24 seven. And I thought, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I knew I was a functional alcoholic. And also for anybody in the United States, it was 2016. Um, there was a kind of consequential election that occurred that year. And I also knew that if I did not stop drinking before the next individual hit the White House, that I would no longer be a functional alcoholic. I mean, I was already having blackout drunks. Um, oh. And so I just knew it had to change. And I was just desperate and miserable. So a uh, an online eating program fell into my inbox. Um, and I'm grateful. But and when I listened to it, it was talking about sugar and what it does to you and how it can be as addictive as cocaine. And I was like, and it made sense. It made sense to me. Something really resonated. And I remember it was, it was kind of spendy. It was like 500 bucks. And I remember sitting up at night doing the math on my phone, like, okay, how many, I hadn't done Weight Watchers in a while. Uh, and I was like, how many months of Weight Watchers would I have to, you know, calculate, calculate in order to, and it was only an eight week program, you know, it would be how many months of Weight Watchers versus this $500 price tag. And, but I was desperate. And so ultimately I signed up and I remember getting the food plan and it's like no sugar, no flour. And I was like, oh, heck no, this is never going to work. This will not work. And they had a 30 day money back guarantee. And so I, on day 28, I was going to get my money back because it was never going to work. I've never been so grateful to be wrong in my life. I, um, like 10 days in. So the detox was hard. I'm not going to lie to anybody who wants to go off sugar and flour. Detox was the thing. And, but by day 10, I remember I was driving to the grocery store and I'm humming and I'm singing and I'm like, who are you? And what happened to Laura? Because I hate the grocery store and I haven't, I haven't, hummed or sing or been happy since I'd had a cancer diagnosis at age 30. So oh. I was like, why are we happy? This is weird. <laughs> and I remember thinking that and I was sharing with my sister. She was like, yeah, you're different. You are different. 
And I was happy for the first time. And that was like the first inkling I had that sugar really had an impact on my emotional well-being. Um, so we tootled along my, you know, my, my program ended and I thought I can probably drink again. I can do that. So that began a slippery slope. And so, and you probably, you're probably aware of this Florence, right? Like I'll just drink on this holiday. I'll just drink on my birthday. I'll just drink on my anniversary. Right. And then I had too much to drink at a work event. And it scared me, right? It scared me, like kind of scared me straight. And and so now I'm like, I'm still following the program, though it's technically over. And so I'm like eight months, except for the alcohol, I'm eight or nine months sugar-free. And, you know, what I noticed when I reflected back on, okay, the drinking's got to stop, is that the peace of mind I had, the happiness, the humming, that all went away while I was drinking. And I was like, okay, what's that worth to you? Like, what is that peace of mind worth? And so I recommitted to no alcohol. And so, and so like about nine or 10 months in, I, I'm also recognizing that um, I've really been treating this like a diet and it's not, I mean, they had you, they gave you lots of other tools to use, but I was treating it like a diet and I started noticing my emotions. Like, what am I supposed to do with these emotions? I was used to like numbing with food and alcohol what am I supposed to do with these? And I started thinking like there has to, you know, okay. Uh, again, my track history has been that I can lose weight for a while and then boom, it's back on. And, and I thought, no, we've got to have to try something different. I mean, I'm still in pain 24 seven. I still, and now I don't have alcohol to take the edge off. And I was like, we have to do something else. We're going to have to learn some coping skills. And I was saying to you, Florence, like, I don't know about Canada, but in the United States, nobody taught me coping 101 right? No school, no parents, no college, nobody caught, taught me. And so part of the tools that actually had been part of my program that I didn't use were things like, you know, using gratitudes, learning to be grateful for something, you know, looking for things and starting to kind of change your mindset towards being, having gratitude, um, meditation, um, being willing to write my food down and actually commit to that food as opposed to kind of changing it up. And so what I noticed was that, you know, I did not have, you know, I'm now aware I don't have coping skills and yet the emotions are still here. And so I was, you know, now I'm like, oh, okay, do you want this to work or do you not want this to work? I mean, I was still losing weight once I stopped drinking again, I was losing weight at a pretty fast clip. And so I actually, that program recommended getting more support, like getting a mastermind group. And so I worked, I did that and I, I found myself you know, it still took, I think that was like September, October of that first year. It probably still took me until like February or March to actually get serious about adding those tools habitually into my life. Right. And so once I did that, then I started to get more coping, uh, more coping mechanisms and, and have, you know, start to recognize these are feelings and it's okay to feel them. And how, to, how, how can we just sit with the feeling? And then that program introduced internal family systems into their model, which I see you were introducing into yours too, which is, I think is exciting. Um, internal family systems believes that we are all multiple by birth. We all have parts of us. And so um, 
the example that that I share with people if I'm trying to explain it is in the, in these days of streaming TV, um, if I'm laying on the couch and I've watched two or three episodes of something, I hear a voice in my head say, get off this couch. You have laid here long enough. And then I hear another voice say, oh no, I need to know what happens next, right? And so both of those are parts of us that both have differing agendas about how we can, um, what's best for us at that moment in time. Like there's one part that's like, get off the couch. You've laid here long enough. Get up, get up, get up. The other part's like, oh no, you deserve a break. Let's find out what happens next, right? And they, And these are both parts of us that have, like I said, our best interest at heart, but they're going about it a different way. And, you know, with food, right? Like, particularly now, if, if an emotion's happening and it's painful and upsetting, I've got a part that's like, we know how to fix this. Let's go to the kitchen, right? We can fix this. And then, and then another part's like, oh, no, 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 no. We have been on this food program. We are not eating XYZ. Don't even think about getting it. And so we all believe, so we believe in internal family systems. We all have parts. That's very normal. It does not make us civil for those of us that are of an, of an age that know who civil is. Um, and that our parts are trying to help us. And then we also believe that at our core, we're, so I always like to say, we're not just a big bag of parts. At our core, we have self energy and that self energy has certain qualities that allows us to, you know, it's open and curious and, uh, compassionate. And when we're feeling that way, then we can be curious about why our parts want us to do the things they want us to do, to do. So the group I was in introduced this idea. It changed everything in my life. Internal family systems changed everything. And, um, I suddenly realized why, you know, like, cause there was definitely parts of me that wanted to lose weight for my entire 50 plus years. And then there was other parts that it was scary to them to lose the weight. Like, who would I be if I didn't weigh 300 pounds? You know, what could happen? Um, it's who, it's all I've ever been. And it made sense that they were frightened. And so I, I went to an IFS practitioner and learned, uh, cause I didn't believe that I had self. I believe, you know, Richard Swartz, who created the model says that we all have self. It's indestructible. And, um, it's not, you don't have to go sit at an ashram in India and meditate for 10 years to find that. And I was like, yeah, what does this guy know? And so I went and found somebody to work with and he was right. I actually did have some self and within a month, because I was writing it in a five-year journal, I actually had like this, um, event, a yearly, an annual event with a family member that's happened for 50 some years. I'd get a call and they'd be like, Hey, Laura, we're coming to visit. And I'd be great, great, great. That's great, great, great. Get off the phone. And I'm like, Holy Hannah, get me out of here, please. Can we leave? Can we have an emergency? Can I break a leg? What can I do to not have to deal with this family member for the weekend? And that happened every year, like clockwork. And, and it happened to be a month after I had, so I had done four IFS sessions. And by the way, this conversation with the family had never come up in those sessions. So phone rings. Hi, Laura, we're coming to visit. And I'm like, great, great. That's great. And I get off the phone and I wait. I wait for the existential dread that has been part of my life for 25 plus years, right? It doesn't happen. And I'm like looking around like, what's happening? Who is this? And where's my existential dread that always happens with this cousin? And it was gone. And I had not done any work 
with this situation with my therapist. And I thought, what the heck? And so what we say in internal family systems, and say we now, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But it, what we say in internal family systems is, is that the system starts to trust you with self-energy and that you can actually lead your life so that they don't have to do it anymore. And it that moment right there felt like a magic wand to me. And so I decided to go get trained in internal family systems as a practitioner because uh, while it is a therapy model, they do train non-therapists. And so I got trained in 2019 and um, I've done over a thousand IFS sessions since then. And I have seen it change people's lives the way it changed mine. So fast forward, so we go back into my food story. Um, in 2019, so now I've now I've got some skills and tools to help me learn to manage my emotions, right? Um, I'm doing meditation. Gratitude changed my life. Gratitude changed my life. We had a, um, you know, just writing down, and I wasn't even doing it the way some people tell you to do it. Some people <laughs> say, if I write down, I am so grateful for a cuddle with my cat that I, I should sit and really feel that. Like, let me really feel the warmth of the cat and the love he was giving me. I don't even do that. I just write, I'm grateful for a cuddle with my cat. I am grateful that I have heat today because it's cold here. I am grateful. And a year into that practice, um, we had tornadoes. I'm in Oklahoma. We have tornadoes come through here with um, a huge hailstorm, like golf ball size hail or, or bigger. And it it destroyed our roof. It destroyed our cars. It broke out windows. Um, and I'm screaming as, you know, windows are breaking in my house. And when it's over, which hailstorms don't last very long, I walked outside and I looked around and I was like, I was like, I'm so grateful it wasn't worse. And I thought, again, that is because of that. I believe it's that gratitude. Like I have now shifted the way I think about things so that I can, I can always see that it could be worse. And so that gratitude practice, which has nothing to do with IFS, was so helpful to me. So now I'm having, so I've got tools and I've got skills. And so this is how I learned to manage the emotions that nobody taught me how to manage. So let's see, that was 2019. But also in 2019, I had a part of me that decided it could drink again. You haven't had a drink in over two years. I'm sure you'd be fine. That was the one of the worst days of my life. One of the worst days of my life that I decided to go out drinking. Um, and it scared my system so badly, uh, as it should have. And that led to a year of deep work with my alcohol subsystem that I have healed. And then also it gave me even deeper work with my um with my food subsystem, because I realized that I had a food controller that was really running my food program. And that kind of scared me because I thought, okay, if self is not running my food program, then what happens if my food controller like packs up and goes on vacation? And so I spent that 2020, I really spent time 2019, 2020, really working with that set of parts. And then in 2020, as we all probably know, was the year of the pandemic, first year of the pandemic anyway, we'll say. And that like stopped all travel. And I was used to like traveling once a month for my day job. I call it my day job and now my IFS job. Um, and I 
that year, to me, the silver lining was it really solidified my food program. So I had gone into maintenance um, at the end of 2018. So I started January. I, oh, this is my six-year anniversary right here. Like this week is my six-year anniversary of being sugar and flour free. And and like I, you just heard, none of it's been perfect, right? Like, but I've stayed the course. And um, so in 2020, like everything shut down. So there's no more restaurants, no more traveling. And I think that year really solidified for me my food. And I, I, I like stopped. I found myself no longer feeling sorry for myself that I couldn't eat a certain way. I found myself by 2021, even like in uh, Thanksgiving of that year in, in the United States, um, I was not even like trying to figure out, oh, how can I do this instead of that so that I can have, you know, a proper thing. I was just like, I just want my food. And so, you know, I think there's something also about just time and program and time and not eating sugar and flour. And then I know that the parts work. I was just checking this morning with them. I was like, because the things that were hardest for me, particularly the first year or two were, you know, feeling like I was different and, you know, I wanted to fit in and it's not fair. Why can't I be normal? Why can't I have what everybody else has? All of that was very common the first year and a half, two years. And I think now, like, I feel really, I am super solid in this is how I eat. And I think I was sharing with you, I had read some books that really made me, made a part of me say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. There've been several books that you're probably familiar with um, about, you know, ultra processed food and how sugar and ultra processed food are so bad for our bodies and how some of the food processing companies will actually, you know, they're working to hack your brain to actually make those hyper palatable foods because they want to sell them to you. Right. And I think there was a part of me that was like, uh, no no, no more done. And so in the last six months to a year, what I found is that like, I'm just done. This is how I eat. I am no longer apologetic about it. I am no longer, uh, I, I was talking to a friend before our call and I was like, I'm sure there's somebody in here in my head that be like, Oh, it would be nice to be able to eat the way, but they're not strident anymore. They're not upset. They now trust me to actually take care of the system and if and occasionally, like there was something stressful happened the other day, and I heard my alcohol part say, "I'd really like a drink," and I was like, "I hear you, I hear you, I get it, I get it. You think that would be a good idea, and I know you're trying to help me, but we're not going to do that today." And so that's like some of the that's some of the ways I've learned to like work with my parts so that I'm not shaming them for what they want. I want them to know I am with you and I understand that you're trying to help me, but. And they now trust me enough because I've been working with them for several years to know that, hey, I've got everybody's back here. Like, I get that you think that, you know, sticking my head in the in the jar of nut butter is a great idea. And I don't think that's for the best good of the overall system. So, so yeah, like now I am unapologetic, apologetically sugar fl flour free. I eat what I eat. I've got to like, I figured out like when I am traveling, as you start traveling, like I've got a travel routine sorted, you know, I get to the hotel and I order food from Whole Foods and have them deliver it. And I, I love this life and it has changed my life. It has given me a life. And so I would say to anybody, it, don't give up and it is so worth it. It is so worth it. 
Oh my gosh, incredible. Thank you for that. I know, I think that that holding out the hope that we can actually be happy, right? Because that voice in our, the part of us knows that we can feel good when we eat these foods that, you know, play with our, our neurochemistry, our neurotransmitters, and it doesn't have hope and it doesn't have trust that we can be happier without them. And what a lovely message that you've shared that it's, it, it's, it's a journey of highs and lows and hiccups and, and highlights, but that, that over time you might just wake up one day and catch yourself whistling, singing. That's right. Yeah. And go, what, what happened here? And you just, you just kept walking the path of faith. I'm going to wait for the miracle. You, all the 12-step programs that I was in for my own food addiction recovery, my sponsors would say to me, it's coming, honey, it's coming. Mm-hmm. Just keep walking the path. I don't know when it will come, but something is going to awaken in you. And you're going to go, oh, I'm in a different world. Like my life was a before and after. And, and this world is so much better. And my body knows it now. It's my ally. It doesn't even call for those foods. It looks at it and goes, no. Poison, poison, yeah. Don't feed me that. No, I feel so much better now. Thank you for helping me to experience the truth of how much better life is on whole foods. Uh, Pardon me, I have a cup. It's just on the tail end of COVID. Um, I have a a couple questions for you. One of them is um, about that part of you that would panic when you start to get the, around the 160 mark, mm. right? Like, what did you discover? And what insights can you share for people who have that? Because it's very common, isn't it? It is very common. Um, I don't know that I, I know. But what I can tell you, and I think it can be different for different people. Um, I work with a lot of people who have been, you know, have had sexual trauma in their past. And So what we say about parts in a lot of cases is that they are trapped in whatever timeline that they, or or, or I should say time frame where they came online. And so they may not understand that you've moved on and time has moved on and that you are no longer, you know, a child or that you're no longer the teenager that was raped. And so part of what we do in parts work is we update parts and we show them how your life has changed from whatever event they're stuck in. And so that they start to recognize that you have resources that you did not have then. Like, I don't, I no longer live with my family of origin. I now have financial resources and a car. I could get away if I needed to. Like, there are things that our parts are stuck in. I kind of think of it like stuck in amber. And so um, I, you know, it's funny. I, again, this is to me, this is some of the magic of IFS is I never really worked uh, with the parts that would panic when I would get under that weight, but, um, because I was doing work in my system and this is, I don't have a great way to explain this, but anytime you're doing internal work, it change. Everybody's impacted, right? Everybody ends up, um, feeling the change that's happening. And the, so the whole system calmed down and then allowed me to move past that weight. So I weigh 136, 137. When, uh, 136 to 140. Do I have parts that get upset? Yeah, absolutely. When I hit the 138, the parts get like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And and then I have other parts that say, look, this is just normal. But, you know, I definitely have a part that doesn't like hitting, getting close to that 140, even now. Like they they get panicked. And so I have to work with them to say, this is just normal body fluctuation. 
it'll be okay. We're doing the right thing. We're still following our program. We're not doing anything different. It'll be okay. And I think that's a lot of it. That's the um, internal family systems has been around probably since the late eighties, but until recently it hasn't kind of hit like the tipping point and the bulk of the um, bulk of the literature out there until 2021. I'm not sure there was a a book that was out there that was more public facing. It was all like for clinicians or people that are trained in it. Um, uh, Dick Schwartz wrote No Bad Parts that came out in 2021, which is actually public facing. And I think um, one of the things that I bring to the table as somebody who works with parts is like, I try to teach you how to talk to your parts and teach you how to stay in contact with your parts and how to, to do that kind of a little bit like reparenting soothing of them and say, Hey, it's okay. Cause so like the other day when the alcohol part was like, we need a drink. I was like, I get it. I get you're scared, frustrated. And you think that'll help. But how I would speak to that part is not necessarily how I would speak to a different part that um, was scared. Like if there was this part of me that gets like the part that gets fearful, if I get close to 140 on the scale, which I have other parts, by the way, in my head, laughing their butts off, like, oh, you think 140 is a big deal? You're crazy, right? 300 is a big deal, 140. So I've got a part that thinks that the one that thinks 140 is frightening, it wants to laugh at it because it knows that 300 is actually frightening, you know, to it, right? Like, but then the one that's scared, scared parts, I'm going to talk to a little, I may talk to a little differently, like, I can soothe them and let them know I hear them. Because one thing I say is that our parts, they like us, they want to be accepted and acknowledged and appreciated for who they are and not just, and not just like shunted aside or uh, made to be wrong or, you know, whatever that might be. Like I looked up the other day on, on the Google box, I looked up, how do you get rid of your inner critic? Right. And there's like two point eight million responses to that. And so see, that is internal family systems. We believe there are no bad parts and that all of our parts are welcome. And so, you know, that's, that's a hard sell sometimes like Laura, what do you mean? My critic is welcome. And it's like, well, let's get to know your critic because it's scared. That's generally what's going on. It's afraid of something and it needs your help. But most of us try to like kick our parts to the curb or we ignore them or wish they'd go away and, you know, this is why one of the reasons I love internal family systems is we believe they're all welcome here. I know they're all trying to help you to the best of your ability, even the ones that are doing things like drinking or eating off my plan or, you know, yelling at my husband or whatever that may be. Let's go back to your food. I just uh, had a question about um yeah, how you're doing that. So are you still to this day, the night before planning, committing and following through only and precisely? Do you weigh and measure all of your meals every day? I guess there's probably rare exceptions when you're eating out and traveling. But generally speaking, is that just a very solid? Yes. Consistent part of Okay. So well, part of it is let me tell you. So again, I had a part that was like, I'm not doing that, right? Like, <laughs> um, So it probably took the first 18 months, I did not write down my food. Um, and then I began to realize, you know, there might be a reason somebody's telling me to do this. Let's try that. And I actually, I think a a part was still rebelling. So in the morning I write down what I ate the day before and, um, food wise for me, I pre 
cook all my food. So I do batch cooking. And so then there are components in the refrigerator. So no, I don't write down that I'm going to eat broccoli and cauliflower. I, um, but going, I know that I've got, you know, four ounces of this and 10 ounces of that. And so long as it's 10 ounces of vegetables, I don't care. So that works for me. Um, I know that doesn't work for a lot of people, but it does for me. Um, and then the next morning I get up and write down what I actually ate. Um, but when I am home, I, yes, I weigh and measure everything mm-hmm. because that, that gets, you know why? And, and, you know, I don't think I actually touched on this. It gives me peace of mind because then there is not a part in my head saying, I don't think you got it now. I think we need a little more because you didn't measure it. So I don't know that we got enough. Let's have a little more. And the inner peace was worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. The inner peace of not having the food chatter, not having a you know anybody, because I was always hungry. Like I would eat a full meal of, you know, the standard, well, we call it here, the standard American diet, right? The sad diet. And then 90 minutes later, I'm munchy, right? And so that was the other thing. I don't think I mentioned this. Once I stopped, once I started eating whole foods and got all the processed foods, the bulk of them out of my diet and eating vegetables, produce, I wasn't hungry anymore. And that was like shocking to me. That was something. And so I've never been hungry ever since I, well, until I went into maintenance and then that's another story, but I wasn't hungry on, on a whole food plan. And that was amazing to me. So yes, but to me, to stop the little voice from saying, I haven't tried it lately, except when I do travel. I'm always, I was talking about this with some somebody earlier this week. I'm always happy to get back home and weigh my food. But I do now have a food program for travel that my system is very happy with. And it cal- it's very calm. And, you know, it took a while to develop that. But like one of them is like, I'm, I'm an Amazon person um, and Amazon Prime person. And so Whole Foods, since I bought them, I can just go to a hotel and then I just have them deliver, you know, like an eight ounce tub of hummus is two meals for me, plus, you know, baby carrots and tomatoes and, um, and a bag of fruit or some fruit and I'm good. And that's all I need. Mm -hmm. I do pack in my breakfast. I do pack in my breakfast stuff, come to think of it. But yeah, I mean, so I now have a travel plan and the system's okay with that. They're they're like, okay, we're going travel. And I'll tell them, I will say, we're going traveling and here's what we're doing. And, you know, here's what we're going to do for dinners. And but here's breakfast and lunch. And and they're like, okay, so long as I tell them up front, it's, yes. it's good. Yes, 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 yes. I say that too, actually. They know, they don't, they know if they're going to be neglected or forgotten or left mm-hmm. high and dry or going to be on a diet or feel deprived or mm-hmm. get the short end of our energy and effort around meeting their needs. Uh, they know. And when we're consistent, I mean, six years in is pretty incredible. We know, I, I, I think it's pretty fair to say that the research that came out of Harvard that showed that addicts of all stripes although I, I won't say that they specifically um, research food addicts, probably not, but of all like drugs and alcohol of various types, if they can get five years of back-to-back, they have a near zero, not not 100% zero, but near zero percent of relapse, that there's an identity shift, that the, the likelihood of them ever really going back um, is almost zero, which is pretty cool. So you're, you're over that, you're over that marker. Which... I will say that landed, like it landed really nicely. 
Yeah. That landed really I will say this last year, um, I was more I've I've also unfortunately in the six years, like other foods had to be taken out of my diet because my body could no longer tolerate them. Mm-hmm. Um, like dairy had to come out, with the exception of hard cheese, which a part's like it's a shame about the hard cheese too, but I like no cream, no um, no soft cheese nothing like that because that will cause migraines now that'll so I used to I've been lactose intolerant for a while but it's never been bad enough to cause a headache but now we have so now we have an allergy Mm. and then coffee which I know a lot of people suggest don't eating not drinking caffeine or consuming caffeine but I was able to do that but I found that I was drinking too much and so I've had to like ratchet it back because again it'll cause me to have a migraine and I'm not gonna lie there were parts that were like a little dramatic, like, what else are you going to take away from me? Totally. Everyone's had that experience. Like, what? What? Like, when is this ever going to end that you just stop? Subtra- you keep subtracting. Are we going to be eating grass? I heard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. I, and, you know, and I'm a, I'm a smart aleck. Um, and a part's like, oh, we're going to become breathitarians. Yeah. He's going to breathe. And I'm like, yeah, you guys are cute. You guys are so cute. You're right. And I, and what I say to them, like when, when the, the dairy, the, the dairies came out first, so that's been a few years now, but when the, um, oh, and then we made the decision, my husband and I made the decision to go mo- mostly meat free. And so when, um, when soft, so like it first was like, just cream and coffee that had to go because I couldn't take it. And then it's like, I can't remember what the next dairy thing that just like flat, like maybe cottage cheese or something that had to come out because it was making me physically sick. Um, And then we had taken meat out in 2019 at the end of 2019. And, and the parts were like, are you kidding? I was like, okay guys, I hear you. I, I get it's frustrating and I get that it's scary and I get that you're annoyed and there's a part of me that's annoyed too. Cause now I'm like, Oh, now I'm going to travel as a gluten. I, so here's the part I heard in my head, right? Like, so, Oh, I, ha- I forgot to mention this in 29 or 2009. I like, I had a gluten intolerance flare up. And so I hadn't been doing gluten since then. And fl- flour and products were never my deal anyway. So I didn't really care about getting rid of all the flowers, but a part's like, how am I so, all dramatic? How am I supposed to travel? I can't have this and I can't have that. And you know, what's funny is, so I was thinking about this today. I, I was like, it's funny. We, we survived, didn't we guys? And I, I will actually go back and show the parts that like, I was like, isn't that funny? I, mean, I remember you guys throwing a fit about, you know, taking this out and taking that out and taking that out. And look, and I heard a voice in my head part. What would happened if we had to lose soy? Cause I do eat soy. And I was like, you know what? We would figure it out just like we figured out everything else. I mean, that is, you know, it it does. It feels like deprivation. And, you know, how can I make, let the parts know I get that. I get it feels like deprivation and I get that it's okay. And, and I'm not going to make you wrong for feeling that way. And that to me is really what parts work does is I want to accept whatever they have to say. And most times when parts feel heard, seen and heard, don't relax. They're like us. I just want to be seen and heard. Mm, Amazing. Wonderful. Any final words of wisdom you'd like to share before we wrap up today for people who really are in pain and suffering and if maybe, you know, hanging by a thread, maybe lost hope, um, you know, that your transformation is truly phenomenal. I mean, just I can't even imagine what it would be like to 
have exercise taken away and not just taken away, but replaced with unrelenting pain for a decade. Like that's, that's a lot of pain and suffering that you turned around. So anyway, anyways, just want to give you a final opportunity to share any words of encouragement for, with others. Never quit. That would be never quit it. Uh, and it's so worth it. If since this is my sixth year anniversary or six this week, the the inner peace was worth the price of admission the the negative talk is gone the mostly the you know the just all of that i i can't ex- if you've never had that peace i can't explain to you what it's worth and i had even said uh to a group of friends if I had to gain all the weight back or give up my inner peace, if if it was one or the other, like you can weigh 300 pounds or you can have the inner peace, I'd take the inner peace and, and weigh 300 pounds. Like, if you know, you or you can stay this weight or you, you know, in order to keep your peace, the inner peace was worth the price of admission. It was worth never eating another sugary whatnot ever, but I, and never quit because it, it's hard. It's hard at first. And I would say, look at what tools you have in your toolbox for learning to cope and then get the support you need. Cause I think those are the critical things. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you again, Laura. I really appreciate sharing you sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much, Lawrence. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you would like more interviews, more information, and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar, Go to my YouTube channel, Kick Sugar Coach, or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.